0: Jesus, thank you so much for Christmas. Thank you so much that you came down to be our Savior, to, to die on the cross for us. And you came down as a, as a baby in a manger. You were born. You, you spent nine months in your mother's womb, and, and that is unbelievable. And for reasons that we'll look at today, I just pray that our mind would be blown and our expectations would be shattered And our understanding would be unlocked and it would be made fruitful by your spirit, Jesus. That's what we ask today. We ask that you would teach us something that we did not know. And that we would be changed from from this point in our life forevermore, never to be the same because of Christmas and because of what you've done. In your name we pray. Amen. Today's Bible study is called To Infinity and Beyond. Who said that? Buzz Lightyear, that's right. Thank you, John and everyone else who answered. Buzz Lightyear said to infinity and beyond. And so we are going to be studying and looking at the word infinity. All right, so remember that. But let's read our text here first. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 11. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but to also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant or slave, and coming in the likeness of men, he became a man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, too. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And there is a word that we all need to know, and it's the word infinite or infinity. It means unlimited or boundless or it's something that cannot be measured. It cannot fit into any box. You cannot put a number on it that even makes sense. If you think of the biggest number in the world, it's unimaginably bigger than that. It's so big you can never even measure it or even imagine it. It is bigger than your imaginations. That's what the word infinity means or infinite. And the reason we need to know this word is because it's It's actually the best description that we have of God. Infinite is the best description we have of God. He is infinite. He is unmeasurable. He is boundless. Everything in our universe can be measured. Even the universe itself can be measured. It's really big. It's really big, but it can be described. You see, our galaxy, the Milky Way that we live in, all right? It's roughly 100,000 light years in diameter. And our nearest sister galaxy to the Milky Way is the Andromeda galaxy, and it's located about 2.5 million light years away. And a light year, of course, is how far a beam of light could travel in a whole year, which is a very big distance, very large. And there are probably more than 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. All that's to say, if we were to stretch a measuring tape from one side of our universe, everything that we know, and stretch it all the way to the other side of the universe, it would be about 93 billion light years across. 93 billion, with a B, light years. Across. Yet Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 says, Who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and measured heavens with a span. God measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth with a measure, and he weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance. That means he can hold the entire universe, everything that we know, in between his pinky. And his thumb. That is big. God is big, and we all know the song. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Thank you for joining me in that song, by the way. So I don't sound ridiculous. Now he. It doesn't. God doesn't even have hands, right? He doesn't even have a hand. So what, it's, what Isaiah is doing, he's trying to get us to understand that everything we can possibly imagine is just a little bit for God. He can just pick it up and hold it. Everything you're worried about, everything in the entire universe, he can just hold it and look at it. It's no big deal to him. It says he calculated the dust, which means it's not just about size. God isn't just big I mean, Andre the Giant was big. Sumo wrestlers are big. God doesn't care about being big. It's about intelligence as well. He can calculate anything. His intelligence is infinite as well as his bigness, you could say. Well, Jesus is God. Did you guys ever hear that before? Tell your neighbor, Jesus is God which means Jesus is infinite. He's that big guy. He is bigger. Jesus is smarter. Jesus is greater than we can imagine. He, was, he existed long before he came as a baby in a manger. And his glory is infinite. His awesomeness is infinite. Every angel, every man are only like ants to him. In fact, they're probably even lower than ants. They're probably like worms. Do you guys like worms? You've never had a football team who said, we're going to be the mighty worms, have you? Because they are the, the most shy and the most weak of all the animals, worms. That's what we probably are to God, just low underneath the dirt. They don't even get on the top of the dirt. They're below our feet that we walk on. What do you call it when worms take over the world? Global worming. (laughs) Why didn't the two worms get into Noah's Ark in an apple? Because they all had to come in in pairs. That was awesome. Jesus is so great. He's so wonderful that we are all just dust before him. You know, he has no need for any of us. We can't add to him any blessing or profit. We cannot even comprehend him or understand him. As Jonathan Edwards says, who's a great preacher hundreds of years ago, It says, he is the sovereign Lord of all. He rules over the whole universe and does whatever he pleases. His knowledge is without bound. His wisdom is perfect and none can circumvent it. His power is infinite. Infinite, remember that word. And none can resist him. His riches are immense and inexhaustible. His majesty is infinitely awful. Not awful isn't bad, but awful isn't full of awe. He is so infinite. And if he were to show himself to men, get this, none could resist him. Not a single person could look away from how glorious and infinite and wonderful he is. Yet we would all probably just die from the absolute splendor that we're looking at. We would all faint from too much input or stimulus into our eyes and our brains and our hearts. Our finite brains, our limited senses have no way to even comprehend or even explain what we would see if we saw him in his glorious form. This is our Jesus. He is infinitely high. In Isaiah 57 15, it's my favorite verse. It says, for thus says the high and lofty one, God is describing himself and he says, I am high and I'm lofty who inhabits eternity, which means time itself isn't even big enough to hold God. He's so, out, he's so big and he's so wonderful, he's outside of time. He inhabits eternity. His name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. Means means he, he just lives, he dwells, which means he's totally fine all by himself. No one's even worthy enough to be with him. Yet, he continues the verse and he says, With him, I dwell with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Which means his desire is to be with us. He's great, awesome, and mighty, and wonderful, but he wants to be with us. Jesus longs for a relationship with the most brokenhearted, bruised, messed up, and the weakest people in the world. He longs for it. Something about those worms. But he doesn't just show us all of his glory. He doesn't just appear in the sky as Jesus. No, he doesn't just force everyone to have a relationship with him. He knows that if he just showed up and everyone saw how amazing Jesus was it would violate their free will. They could no longer say I'm going to live my own life apart from you God for my because I just don't want you. It would violate their free will and they would have to say no God is awesome and I I should be with him. But no he 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 hides that a little bit and he comes as a baby. He chooses a different way to connect with us. And this is our second big word that we're learning, condescension. Everyone say condescension. And that means the definition is a voluntary descent from one's rank or dignity, dignity in relating with an inferior. And it's what we celebrate at Christmas, Condescension. The great God of the universe stepping down out of his splendor and into our world, what we call the incarnation. Jesus taking on manhood. Jesus, God, becoming a man. The high one made himself low. The famous one was born into a stable with nobody watching. The creator living in his own creation. And not even the best part, he wasn't born in Hawaii. He condescends. He chooses to humble himself. How far is, this is the question we ponder today. How far does he have to go to come to us, to become one of us? And the answer to that question is the word infinity. He came infinitely far. That means however far you think he had to come, it was further. However much you think he had to humble himself, it was worse. You have no idea. We can't even imagine how far Jesus had to come to be a man. From an unmeasurable high to sinful man is an infinite distance. And he doesn't just show up in the, as the most glorious man ever to be born, which he could have, and he probably should have. But he was... When he came to visit us, when he came and he was born, he showed up in the most amazing, humble, humiliating circumstances imaginable. He is an infinite God who has infinite love, and so when he comes, it's in infinite humility, because that's his character. Infinitely humble. Does that mean he's not powerful? No. He's infinitely powerful, but he's also infinitely humble. He would take the lowest road, and he took the lowest of the low. He doesn't overwhelm us with his beauty and his glory. He just wants to prove to us that he's here, not for himself, but for us. He's here because of love. And what kind of love? Infinite love. Unselfish, self-sacrificing love. Infinite Love that's beyond measure. You can't even think about how much it is. There's the story of a great king who fell in love with a lowly maiden in his land. And this lowly lowly like milk maiden. Okay, and he would walk by, he'd see her from his palace, and he loved her. But he knew that he could not go down as a king and tell her about his love. Because he wanted a real relationship with her. He didn't want her to be afraid that his guards would kill her if she said no. He didn't want her to be overwhelmed with his beautiful clothes and majesty. He wanted her to know his heart. How much he loved her. And so he gave his kingdom to someone else. He gave it to them. So that he didn't even have a right to it. And he comes down... He, he literally has nothing. He comes as a beggar. And they get to know each other and she falls in love with him. And she gives him her heart. And then after an amount of time, he receives his kingdom back because he was rightfully the king. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He gives up that kingdom. He, he comes an infinite distance down to us. His condescension is so vast He he even chooses to become a friend of sinners. He doesn't just want to to have us just um, think he's awesome. He wants us to be his friend. He wants to be our friend, to share his heart. And he's a perfect friend. He's a perfect friend. It says, greater love has no one than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friends. Because... He descends even further than just being born at Christmas, as you guys know, right? He descends even further to death, the most painful, the most humiliating death in the history of all deaths, dying for us on the cross, suffering for each and every sin to prove how unworthy we are and how worthy he is. To, th- to think about how far he had to go, think about the height where he started from, then the choices he had to make day after day, and what he had to leave behind. And why did he do it? Love. Self-sacrificing love. Agape love. Love that shows no regard for itself. Love. Love that suffers for its object. Love that will patiently wait for a response. Love. Love. And none of us ever did anything to deserve such love. He didn't come because we asked him to, or because we were so close we could just taste it, the glory of God, and we were almost there, and we just needed a little boost. That was not it. No, he saw the need of the one that he loved, and he stepped in to meet that need. Undeserved, unearned love. You can't, even earn, you can't earn his love. You can't, he can't love you any more or less than he does right now. He loves you so much. But that's nothing like me. I look at Jesus' character and how loving, how patient he is, and I understand and I'm convicted that that's not me. I am more like the worm. The worm who, who's standing on top of a couple more layers of dust to get a little bit higher than the worms around me. That's so often my heart. I often don't descend more than a couple layers of dirt, and I think that's a big deal. And I think we celebrate Jesus coming to earth at Christmas. But do we understand the depth of humility, the depth of love that he demonstrated? No, we don't. We can't. If anything, we're only scratching the surface of how much love he showed when he entered into our history. We've only seen the smallest glimpse of his glory. How could we ever know the heights where love started? How could we ever know the depths which he plunged to love us, the suffering and the humiliation? How could we know it? I don't know. But I'm going to seek it for my whole life. I'm going to seek what that love is. Okay, so I've told you guys that he, that, that we're like worms to him, right? Well, in Psalm chapter 22, it, it gets in there. Here, let me look it up for you guys so I can read it to you. In Psalm chapter 22, David is writing a psalm about suffering and about the, 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 what he was going through. But it's really a psalm about Jesus. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you guys remember when Jesus said that on the cross? Jesus was a good teacher, a good rabbi. And those good rabbis, they would have their students gathered around them, and then they would give them a lesson, and and they would always give them the first part of the psalm or the scripture or the section that they wanted them to go back and study later. And so they did this, and they said, Jesus did the same thing. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yes, he was talking to God, but he also wanted his students to go back and read that. So we find that in the Bible in Psalm 22, and it says here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? And we go down to verse 6, and it says, but I am a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. They all see me, ridicule me. They shoot the lip at me. They shake their head saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Jesus said, I am a worm. I am a worm. Now get this. The word for worm in Hebrew, this is your Hebrew lesson for the day, is tola. Everyone say tola. You Now you know Hebrew, a, wor- a very important word for worm, but it also means something else. The word tola means worm, but it also means the word scarlet, which is the color red. And why do you think that these, this word could mean both worm and from scarlet? Well, the reason is, is because the way they would get the color scarlet if they wanted to make a fancy tie or a fancy whatever they wore back then, a fancy turban or clothing that was red, bright red, they would get it from a worm, a very special worm. And that's, this is the Hebrew word for that worm here. And what would happen is this worm would crawl up a tree and then it would lay its eggs on the tree. And then the mother worm would die on the tree, covering her babies. And the babies would literally feast on their mom. Gross, huh? But it's worms, they're gross. And after time, she would kind of like burst, and it would be bright red. And they would go and they would collect this bright red color. Now this is such an amazing thing that Jesus says, I am that worm. I'm, I'm not just any worm. I'm that worm. The word tola is that worm. That specific worm that they would get the cover, color red. Now this gets even crazier, okay? When Jesus died on the tree for us, we were able to be born again. And how do we live? We live by Jesus. We live in Jesus. It's like he said, if you eat my body and drink my blood, you will have life, right? That's why we have the communion table here. We're not actually eating the body and the blood of Jesus, but it's a spiritual thing. We're remembering what he did for us. And this worm, this gave her life for her babies, now, the best thing is, after the, the, the scarlet uh, explosion, you'll call it on this tree, that, that all that scarlet stuff would, would dry. And the coolest thing is, after three days, it would change color. And I want to give you one guess. What color do you think it changed? White. It would become Pure white like snow. It would dry out. All the color would leave it. And it would fall to the ground like snow. This, this leftovers of the worm. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He washes us with his blood. We have life through his blood. Because he decided to become the worm for us, we have life through him. And then what happens to us? We become... White as snow. Just like we never sinned. And we're we're imagining, we're thinking about the word infinity today. And it applies to his work in us. How much does he feed us? Infinitely. He'll give you as much as you need. How much does he provide for your life? Everything. infinity, Infinity. Everything you need. How much... Does he make you white? He will cleanse you of everything, every sin, every mark and stain that that looks so horrible in our hearts. He cleanses us perfectly and infinitely. That is what Christmas is all about. He would become a worm for us. And that just blows my mind. How could we ever know the heights where love started? How could we ever know the depths to which he plunged to love us? I don't know. But I am going to seek him with all my heart. I am going to, and with every ounce of my soul and and without rest for the rest of my life, I want to know him more. No more pursuits, no more games, no more wasted time, only Jesus all the time. How, to what measure? Infinity. That's how much in I am to Jesus. And we all should. All Jesus, only Jesus, all the time. Only Jesus will satisfy me. Only Jesus will motivate me. So what should we do? Well, in Philippians, the verse we started with, Paul told us what we should do. He said, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's what we should do. We should praise Jesus. We should never stop talking about Jesus. Everything needs to be Jesus all the time. Why? Because the infinite God became a worm for us and his work never stops and his work is so complete. and His work is so wonderful. And today is a very special day where maybe you, you haven't thought about it that way, and Christmas to you is about the presents or about doing something nice for people or any of these other things. But maybe today is a day where you finally understand something about Jesus that's new. Something about what he wants to do for you and how big and important he is. And so it's an opportunity for us to, to say, I want Jesus in my life. So let's all stand up. We're gonna sing a couple more songs. We're going to have communion over here. So during these songs, come up, whoever wants to come up at whatever time, and, and take communion. Now communion is for people who believe already in what Jesus has done for them. And if you don't, then you should probably make that decision first. Because Jesus gives a very strong warning against coming and taking communion if you don't really know him. So you always want to make that right first. You always want to make that right, and this is the opportunity to to do that. So if you have gone your whole life, or maybe you you believed this long ago, but you've wandered or strayed, but you need to remember that God came down and died for you, and if you believe that, you can accept his washing today. You can begin to live on what he did for you today. And it be- you begin a relationship like this. You say, Lord, I believe that you're there. I believe that you've bought me with a price. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I, I don't deserve in any way what you have done. I wasn't even asking for you to come. but no, God, you chose to come to me. You chose to pursue me. And I'm tired of running. I'm tired of of being away from you, and I want to come to you right now. And I receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And I also ask that you would give me your Holy Spirit. Give me a new life inside my soul, a new heart that wants what you want, that will make me obedient, that will help me to do your will and not my own. I give my life in exchange for your life. You've already done your part. You've already died on the cross. You've already risen from the dead by your own mighty power. And today all I can bring is surrender. That's all I can do is surrender to the God who has already purchased me. I give you the control you bought. I give you the life that you earned. And God, would you please give me a life that I did not earn? A life that is by grace and a life is by the new covenant of your love and by the Holy Spirit's power living within me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.